Welcome to episode 16 of the Faith in Real Life podcast. In today's episode, we are talking about the question, is religion the real cause for violence in the world? I'm your co-host, Amy Dahlke, the one who left her notes at home. I'm your other co-host, James Thompson, and I've got my notes. So. And there you have it. Yeah. And we have Pastor John. Hello. All right, so let's get right into it. All so right, James. we're talking about war today. I mean, it's a it's a great topic. It's interesting topic. The as John raised the question this weekend, what was your initial response to that question? You know, if you were asked that, is religion the real cause of violence in the world? My initial response was no. See, mine was yes, and not not yes, but mine was in some ways yes. Mm-hmm. Not all violence. Right. But you do have people in the news recently that do things, and they say that that's why they're doing it. So, you know, on one hand, that's part of me was thinking, well, it can be, it is a cause, right. but not mm-hmm. the sole cause or the... The real cause. Yeah, the real cause. Right. And so, initially, that's where I was going. Mm-hmm. And then, the way I, I sort of approached the question was, for me, in the way, when you said that, I was like, okay, well, how are you going to define religion? I define religion as one of the big established religions, but, you know, as on a more basic level. So I went ahead and, and looked up the definition, and I think this was helpful for me, and it was on a very basic level that the definition is the body of persons adhering to a particular set of beliefs and practices hmm. or a set of beliefs that humans, you know, use as the basis of their life. That's what it comes down to mm-hmm. is just people that have a set of beliefs and then act on those beliefs. So... Football fanatics could be considered a religion, right? Or, I mean, anything. And, and I've heard that. I've heard that, you know, some people, and my law partner is like that. He, his, his religion is politics. Like, he just absorbs it. He goes home and he watches two or three different news channels. 24-7, he's watching all of that stuff that's coming out. And he follows it. And, I mean, he, that's what he breathes in and out. That's it. And it's almost like, and that's his religion. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, he cares more about that, it seems, on some, on some levels than other things. Right. Um, and so he's always asking me questions about it. I'm like, ah, no. <laughs> I don't have enough time in the day to, to get caught up in all that. But, but you have some people that they're so focused on, like, their sports team or something. It's almost like that's replaced. That's the big, they live and die by every pitch. Astro season, and now that football season has started, I am a UT fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some people, you know, that are so depressed over the fact that Texas lost again, uh, Chris Holmes. You're not. Is I I'm not depressed. You know that's interesting that you um, that you define it that way and have opened it in the, into that kind of understanding because I guess really when I was writing the sermon and when I when I penned the question, I wasn't thinking in such broad terms because now you got me thinking. If I had posed it in that way with that definition, the answer would have been an emphatic yes. Because the it's the religion of greed, it's the religion of sin, it's the religion of of oh. evil that is the real source of violence in the world. But if I guess in my head, I had a more narrow understanding of religion as being, you know, some group of people that are connected to an ultimate reality or or to God in some way, whether it be and I, I think as you first said, like one of the major or... religions of the world, not in such broad terms. But, and I, as you pointed out before we began the podcast, the question had morphed throughout the sermon. And probably I was just getting more clear with my words what was in my head from the start. So Yeah, and I think you did. I think you narrowed, you tailored it, you narrowed it down, which made sense to me. And, and you started, you started generally and you got more specific because, uh-huh. you know, you're obviously a pastor of 
Christianity, and so you're, you you can't. My main concern is Christianity. Yeah, so so you went from religion in general, mm-hmm. more faith based religion, mm-hmm. and then specifically Christianity. And right. I thought that focus was a way of honing that question even more to the people that you were talking to, the people in the congregation. As the podcast is called Faith in Real Life, I want for the sermons to have some real life application. So, and they usually do. You're, usually, I don't need the notes, but yeah. I'm an airhead. Oh, come on, you know you remember what you were. No, I, I do remember Larry and I talking. Larry and I went for a walk, I guess Monday night, and we were talking about it. And I mean, I I think that I do remember leaving the sermon thinking, "Oh, I really got that. Yeah, I got that." Well, the, when I had the discussion with Missy, and we, we, we typically do that, we, we sit down and we, you know, we, we talk about, because as we, I prepare for the, the podcast, I, sometimes I'll rewatch the sermon, sometimes I'll just you know, we'll bounce questions off of her. And I said, so what, what, did you, what was the takeaway? And she said, um, it's a tool. You know, religion is it's co-opted by those that justify what they do. You know, it's a condition of the heart, and that's where you were coming from, is that People use religion for these other purposes that they're not called for. I mean, it's it, it's people that use uh, they have these other motives that come out of their heart. They're sort of using their religion to justify what they do. And I think that I I might not have been successful in drawing out this point, but the story about the Pharisees the Pharisees co opted their religion in order to meet their own selfish gains. At least that was I think. The, the underlying accusation that Jesus made when it came to setting aside money for the temple that could have been used to take care of their parents and therefore they were not honoring their father and mother. So while they were professing that they were adhering to the commandments they were hypocritical in that they actually weren't and the reason they weren't was because they were co-opting their parts of their beliefs in order to justify their, their evil intent. For us as Christians, I think that um, we we can fall into that very same thing, where we can be co-opted into believing things, behaving in certain ways. When we are, we're we're falling into a hypocrisy. But if we will have a pure heart, and if we will allow the Holy Spirit to work in our heart uh, and avoid that hypocrisy, then we can live authentic lives. And then, rather than seeing violence coming from Christians, we see pictures of the kingdom. Right. Such as UM Army, such as Emmaus, such as so many other wonderful things that we, we are part of. Where well, I, on that point, I'll tell you that that was one of the things Missy actually wrote down. She was like, because I'd never heard that. So that was when you, when, you, when you read that verse and you put that into context, it's exactly what, what Jesus was talking about when he called them hypocrites and this other tradition that they'd sort of added on to the scriptures. Had never, had, we don't recall ever hearing that. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, that was one of the things that we wrote down. Like that made that put that whole scripture into context, where he's like, you know, you guys have added on the stuff that's not there, and it is sort of um, form over substance, mm-hmm. um, and you're actually perverting the commandment that you had mm-hmm. um, to make it easier for you. So no, that was yeah. So Matthew doesn't state that, but for me, there was a parallel between what the Pharisees were doing and what uh, governments have done in the name of God in committing violence. And the reason for the violence, I mean, if you think about why the Crusades, well, because they wanted to take over the Holy Land. That was valuable land. That was valuable space. They want, And um, the Muslims were in their way. Um, so they, 
they had the crusades and got people excited and they did it but it was you know it was done in the name of god but it wasn't truly coming from the heart of jesus for them to do that same thing with i mean we just there's so many examples but well and that's you know i'm looking at amy who's just raising the roof over here um <laughs> yeah there is, there has been violence done. I mean, I right. guess we can't get away from that fact that there has been violence there done have, in yeah, the name definitely. of religion. Yes. Um, of multiple religions. Yes. You mentioned the Crusades. That was mm -hmm. Christianity. Oh, but I can, I can quote a fact. Okay. I can quote a fact. And actually, I can read a fact. So, secular historians note that more than 90% of the wars fought in human history had no religious motivation. And so the remaining seven, which 90 plus seven, even I, that's 97, that's not 100%. Anyway, the remaining 7% of conflicts account for about 2% of the deaths, and it's Islam that accounts for more than half of the religious wars. Islam clearly is a religion, but even when you take all of the various religions, they only account for 7%. Yeah, and, and that I was doing, you know, I was looking up statistics as well, or just sort of, Facts about uh, wars and whether they were religious based or, you know, they had the, that was used as one of the grounds. The most violent conflict in American history, Civil War, people had the same religion. Hitler's killed millions of, of, of Jews and he was influenced by an atheist. I mean, it, it's, it really is, it's easy to point to the Crusades and what was the other, the Spanish Inquisition, but even as, as you said, the Crusades, I actually looked up other causes for the, you know, sort of what were the basis or what were the causes of the Crusades. And the stuff that, that I came up with was you had a change in popes. Yeah. And so there was a, that sort of political issue there. Knights were constantly warring in Europe. And so the leaders thought, you know what, this is a good way to have them focus their energies outside of Europe. Mm -hmm. And so to send them away to the yeah. Crusades, you had um, one of the interesting causes that I thought of the Crusades was, and I, I may mispronounce it, promogenitor, which is, where the son, the first son, inherits everything from uh, from their father. So what you had is you had all these kings and and noblemen who their first sons would inherit. So you had a bunch of second sons who had basically no future because they weren't going to inherit anything. And so there was sort of this promise that they might be able to inherit, and there was riches in going on these crusades. And so that's the they they so took off. Right. So it huh. all goes back to what's the person's motive. What's the I mean, what's motivating their behavior? What's yeah. in their heart? Yeah. So of course, I always go back to well, there was no Cain and Abel. <laughs> we always go back right. to go back to Genesis. We're, now we're in chapter four. You know, Cain and Abel. You had what was what was there? What was what was the conflict there? The first murder that's mentioned is they're the same religion. In fact, they spoke to God. God spoke to them, and you had envy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And why? Because. Cain didn't give the first fruits. Mm -hmm. And so then he became envious of the blessing that, you know, that Abel got. And, mm -hmm. and there you go. I mean, mm -hmm. I think this question is connected. Maybe not. It is in my mind. It gets one thinking of, okay, but there was violence in the Old Testament, right? Yes. And there were times that God initiated that quote unquote violence. And I don't know why I just did the quote-unquote, because it's violence. So, and particularly when you have the Canaanite conquest, right? When, mm -hmm. when he's delivered them from Egypt, he tells them to go in and destroy completely yeah. the Canaanites. Yep. And so, so that, I think, 
leads some people to ask, okay, uh-huh. so why yeah. does God do that? So one of my favorite um, biblical scholars currently is this woman named Sandra Richter who wrote this book called The Epic of Eden. Right. Oh, I love that book. And in that book, she makes the statement, God does not, God does not necessarily condone culture, but works within it. So if it was a violent world, he's, his, his strategy in terms of moving the needle with people um, towards faithfulness was to enter into where they were and then move them. So he works within a culture without necessarily condoning the culture. And at the same time, is part of that faithfulness journey is a shaping of culture, hopefully, too. Right. So when he... This is my take on um, that killing everybody, um, which the biblical word is the ban, is what they call it, B-A-N. The reason for the ban, and when he instructed them to, uh, to do a ban... It wasn't because he wanted all of those people dead necessarily. That what may not have been his primary concern. But it was a current practice, and it was a sign of faithfulness for the people to, to follow through on what he asks. And it was a sacrifice. Because if you were to go into a village and kill all the powerful people and, take, and, and destroy all everything, you might like to keep the livestock for yourself. Mm-hmm. But to go in and destroy not only the men, women, and children, but also all the livestock, you're essentially, it's almost like a tithe. This is a stretch, okay, but in, in the sense of I will forego the material gains that could be acquired here in, in, um, as I embrace my faithfulness toward God. Because he asked, I will do it. But it was already a practice within the culture anyway, because right. you would... You would not want those that you conquered to have any chance of coming back. I mean, it's clear from Scripture that the Canaanites were, they were brutal people. They were aggressive people. They were very rebellious against God. And I think Joshua chapter 2 says something about, well, they knew God. They, they had heard of God's deliverance of the people from Egypt. They had heard of his power. They could have acknowledged God. They could have somehow, however you want to put it, turned their hearts over to God. Mm. Um, Instead, they rebelled. I think, and again, no notes on this, but I I do think that that it's pretty clear that it's not that God is against the Canaanites as, like, it's not an ethnic thing. Mm -hmm. It's a sin problem Mm -hmm. that they have. Mm-hmm. And Rahab was a Canaanite, so she was spared because she believed in God. Mm-hmm. He had mercy on her because of her faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just read this actually in my daily reading, that, um, and I think it's 31 kings that Joshua went through mm-hmm. um, in that campaign that was... Mm-hmm. And, and it's interesting because as you read through, they, they go through and they, they destroy towns, and sometimes God says, destroy everything, sometimes says you can keep... The, you can keep the plunder, and then there's one instance where one guy of the tribe of Judah hides it under his tent, and then you know brings disfavor from God, and then they you know they find it and all this. But it's it's an interesting story how many there are, and then they even make it easy for Joshua because five or six of them will band together and then come at him, and God's like, we got this, and then they're gone. And so, but it was like 31 different tribes uh, or kings uh, kingdoms uh, that come against him in just in just a couple of chapters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really is. But yeah, and then yeah, sometimes they can keep the stuff, some come they, they can't, and it it's sort of, you know, this obedience deal to or a test. 
to give back to, to God what is His. One of my one of the um, the books I really enjoy reading, and I read it every year at some point in the year is First Samuel. And what I, one of the things I love about First uh, Samuel is that is you have Saul, who is a who is anointed by God to lead Israel, mm-hmm. and you watch the way that Saul. Um, his relationship with God, how that proceeds, and then you, and then you have David, and who is you know Saul loses his anointing, and David's anointed and becomes the king, and the difference between the two, I think, is so um, instructive for us because David, both of them are flawed. I mean, they're neither of them are perfect. David is is uh, consistently faithful, and his heart is in the right place. He always asks for forgiveness, and he always receives that grace and continues on and Saul like just um, he's pathetic both of them are violent but Saul is he doesn't always follow through on what God asks him to do he gets sidetracked by what people want him to do and but he's tall he's tall and beautiful he's tall and beautiful David is (laughs) ruddy and unhandsome apparently well and what and so going back to the definition of what I thought with, with religion is it includes people. Mm. And I think and that's where religion is going to be flawed and that's where it's going to be imperfect. And even even with David, you know, you have the verse that you mentioned where, was it, you said Matthew, out of the heart, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and the, these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false uh, testimony, and slander. Those are what defile a person, but eating with the unwashed hands does not defile them. So that's that's Matthew, and so even with David, we see he's not perfect. Mm-hmm. You know, we have the whole Bathsheba deal where mm-hmm. he he eyes her. Yeah, he has lust. He sends um, Uriah to the front lines where he is in the forward position, and then they fall back. So he deliberately gets killed. I mean, so you and but then he repent. You know, he repents and he he, right. he turns. You know, he gets right with God again. But so it's it's this heart issue that we're dealing with, and then. You know, I went to what you had mentioned during during the service, and then that same sort of sentiment is echoed again in Mark. And Mark adds a couple more, which I think are the ones that I think uh, probably hit more home for me. Um, you've got what comes out of a person is what defiles them, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, the evil thoughts come, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. I think greed is such a huge, and envy are such huge, huge. Uh, sins, and easy for us as as people just to to fall into. Mm. I don't know what folly is. Folly. Folly. I don't know. Doesn't sound good. <laughs> like folly's foolishness. Yeah. Sounds like teenagers. So then you've got you know so uh, these evil thoughts. And you've got the other examples that just came to mind were. They're looking for false testimony when they so they can find a reason to you know crucify, kill Jesus, and that's based on a power play. So I mean, you could say that that's a religious sort of thing. Admittedly, they couldn't find anything against right. him, right. so they're they're just looking for a way to maintain power. Huh. You have more greed. Isaac lied to to get Esau's blessing. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I, it makes sense to me that all of this stuff comes from within. Absolutely. What comes from within for you, Amy? Peace, joy. <laughs> oh, we're love, going. Joy. We're going Galatians now. We're going. We're going to the second the scripture that was used, and that was the. Uh, yeah. I don't know if did you did you reference the, the fruits of the spirit? You mentioned it in the opening I may have prayer. 
I don't remember having it. If it did, it was a spirit moment thing because I don't, I don't remember doing it. You mentioned in the opening prayer that that maybe be fruitful with the fruits of the spirit, which are what I guess what we need to be working on to come from within, as opposed to the. Uh, I think I made reference to Romans twelve at one point, but I didn't. I didn't quote it. I just was talking about being transformed by the renewing of our minds. So I looked up those things that the evil things that come from us. Right. And I was trying to find other verses that may um, that may address those. And specifically, sort of, if religion is the root of all these things, what does the Bible say about these things? So, like, what does the Bible say about greed? And so I was looking at most of this stuff is going to be in Proverbs, right? So the greedy stir up conflict, but those who trust in the Lord will prosper. So it's telling us, don't be greedy. Do not envy the violent or choose any of their ways. Mm-hmm. Is Proverbs uh, 3.31. Um, and then in Colossians, you have put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then it specifically talks about the sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, and greed. And then it also talks about, but now you must also rid yourselves of all things such as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other. I mean, so I guess it's real easy to pick and choose if you're going to be one of these guys who's just going to bash the Bible as being, um, having inconsistencies and... You're going to say, don't kill, but then you have the Old Testament God killing people. And But if you actually look at the New the New Testament, he's, he's sort of they're preaching against these things. Yeah. You're, you're right. not supposed to do these things. Well, as you're reading, it made me think of James, not you, James, James chapter 4, where he says, where do the war and fights come from among you? And do they not come from your own desires? That war in your members. And so you lust because you don't have. So you're envious, and it's all stirred up by this envy and greed that's in your heart. And that's why you fight and argue. And actually, that total tangent. But, I mean, when I look at my own life and and put this verse up against it, why do I have conflict with other people ever? It's, well, I'm greedy for my own way. Like, why don't you just get along with me? We are constantly fighting uh, with this, and I think, I don't know if, if Luke has these issues, but, like, within the house, we have issues. So if one kid gets something, the other kid's like, why didn't I get something? Or it doesn't even have to be something that I did. You know, Zoe got to do this. And I'm like, well, that was her friend wanted invited her to the movies. So, like, how how is this my fault that now you didn't get to go to the movies mm-hmm. and that's not fair? And this envy and this greed monster is constantly there. And we're constantly dealing with it. And that was an interesting thing that I don't remember it being, remembering it being in there. But when I was reading the Cain and Abel sort of verse, when God is talking to Cain, he uh, when he gets mad about not getting favor with his offering... God says, you need to be um, be careful. Sin is always there lurking. Oh, Sin yeah. is crouching at and, your door. And it's yeah. just like the tiger reference. It's in the, the New Testament mm-hmm. about Satan is always crouching or, 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 or trying to attack you and stuff. And I don't remember that being there, but sure enough, it, that was the next verse right mm-hmm. after. Mm-hmm. We're constantly, uh, constantly, constantly fighting the, the greed and envy monster at our house. Yeah, you know, um, so I don't think I did it at 1030, but I, I think I did it at 9. Where I, I, and not, I didn't do a big thing of it, but I, I expounded on the, the word violence just a little bit. Violence comes from a Latin word, violare or something like that. And the Violin. Root, kidding. And the root word. <laughs> I'm it, kidding. The root word of violence is the same root for 
violate so much of what we we do when we are um, acting out of the evil intent of our heart is we're violating people, violating oh. the other. And I think that that's somehow um, embedded in acting in an envious way, right. um, acting slanderously. Uh, when Jesus talked about, it back in, if you go back into Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talked about if you call your uh, brother or your sister an idiot or a fool, you know, that that's, I mean, that's where he was expounding mm-hmm. on murder mm-hmm. because it violates the other person. Right. It violates the, their sacred worth when we label them as this or label them as that makes them seem less valuable so i think part of our part of our soul work is to root out so much more than just physical violence right yeah i think that makes sense to me i mean when you go back to the matthew list here obviously murder is is physical but the other stuff false testimony and slander you're just that self-worth comes into play no you went all violence I thought you were going old Saturday Night Live. Well, why don't they have more violence on TV? <laughs> <laughs> I am not a Saturday Night Live expert. Oh, that's old school. I, I don't know that one. Oh. It's funny. my bedtime. You know, I've rarely watched a Saturday Night Live live because I'm, I'm an early yeah. to bed. Yeah. Well, you work on Sunday. That's true. Yeah, that's... So I go to bed early on Saturdays. Yeah, you work that next day. I looked up the word religion in the Bible thinking, I wonder what the Bible says about mm. religion. James, going back to the book of James... Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. But that's what, that's what, that's what the Bible says about religion is maintain, being, you know, be pure mm-hmm. uh, and help others, really. I mean, And that comes right after James talking about get rid of all your wickedness. Get rid of your anger and receive the word that's implanted in you that's able to save your souls. And, and he's talking about you guys are quoting James a lot today, and it's making me think, gosh, maybe I could do a sermon series on James. I love James. Not that James. James. Yeah. I love James Thompson. Uh, James, yeah. he's okay. So, yeah, it's only four chapters. I mean, it's not that long. be a four-week series. <laughs> I wish you had looked up the Greek word. I mean, I wonder what the word, the Greek word for religion in that context that is. That would be interesting. What you should have said is, oh, I wrote that down in my notes, and I oh, forgot I them. That's yeah. right. Okay, so what's the question for next week? Oh, man, this question is, how can a loving God send a person to hell that should be interesting it should be interesting the have you, so i want to i want to know have you gotten any feedback you know what's interesting like uh what's what's always curious to me about feedback is who's giving feedback almost more than what they're saying because certain sermons will will touch on some people and others seem to seem to grab other people's attention so it's been interesting how the these last two sermons it has seemed like some of the folks that have reached out and offered comments have been not the ones that I've necessarily heard from in the past. I'm getting positive feedback for the most part. People seem to be appreciative. We'll see how long that lasts as we go through the series. <laughs> so eventually you'll hit, you'll hit a question that'll resonate with them in a way they don't want to be. <laughs> but the thing about it, I think these last two have been not quite as personal. You know, they're more theoretical. Right. These next few are going to get might touch mm-hmm. a nerve. At a personal level. So we got plenty of stuff to look forward to in the next coming weeks. We do. And next week... I'll bring my notes. Amy will bring her notes. She won't be as quiet. 